0: Thank you for logging on to listen to our new sermon series. Today we'll begin the new series called, I Need to Change. The Bible says in Romans chapter seven and verse 15, for I do not do the things that I want to do, but I find myself doing the things that I don't want to do. Have you ever found yourself in that situation? You have a purpose in your heart to do one thing, but then you turn around and end up doing the very thing that you do not want to do. Join with us this morning as we look in the book of Genesis, chapter 25. God will begin to give us new direction in that passage of Scripture. I believe that as we go through this sermon series, that if you will follow it through for the next six weeks, that you can begin to pursue the things that your your heart is really set on doing, and not fulfilling the things that you do not want to do. Father, today we do become before you. Father, thank you that you have a soul print for each one of our hearts and lives the same way that you gave us a unique fingerprint our soul our purpose our existence lord it's 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 unique unto ourselves and god i just pray as we begin this new series today that father you would lord take us deeper into understanding that soul print And to understanding the reason for our existence, the purpose of our existence. God, search our hearts. Stir. Stir our hearts, Lord, deep within, God. Change us. Father, please, we need to hear from you today. Father, we don't need to go through another ordinary worship service, Lord. We don't need to come here and go home and say, I've been to church, Lord. Please help us to be able to go home and say, Lord, we met with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Did you get the message? Which one? Sydney's teacher wants to meet with us again. When? Tomorrow at 4. You're going to be there, right? I uh, doubt it. Typical. I just have to see how things go at work. Just shut the door on your way out, OK? Yeah. Every day, it's the same thing. I could get so stressed over work, can't even focus tired of giving up the things that I want for the things that I have. I never asked to be a role model or the leader of a family. I could give up and walk away. From right here, right now, I could change. Life, I okay, if I could change, if I could change my life I would I would add my because I yell at my mom I wish that I could stop worrying about everything and just stop worrying I'd like to slow down the pace of my life I need to change I would be debt free I want to be rich rich Debt free I need to change the people I surround myself with. Better job. I need to express love better to my children. My life is exactly perfect except I'm too old. I would change how value worldly matters and worldly things. I need to stop spending money I don't have. If I could change something. Just trust God. I would change. That's what I would change. I would, I would change. I would change. I'll turn with me to the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis chapter 25, as you turn there this morning I want to share with you the, the subject that we'll be dealing with for the next six weeks and As Pastor Ralph already alluded to, it's the concept that I need to change. Now, in the world we live in, there's a lot of people that love to change. And they change to change. They change jobs because they get bored with it. They change homes because they get bored with it. That's why remodeling is such a large business. (laughs) They get tired of it. change spouses because they get tired of them. They change families because they get bored with it. They change hobbies because they get bored with it. The uh, huge business in America today is the storage business. Preferably climate control. Huge, multi-million dollar business. And the storage business exists to hold all the changes in our life that we've grown weary of. We have storage buildings because we've got bored with golfing. So we store the clubs. We get bored with furniture, so we store the furniture, and then we kind of have seasonal furniture. It... got a changing, ever-evolving home because we grow weary. That's, That's not the kind of change I'm talking about. I'm talking about changing from that kind of change. That you change because God has spoke to your heart. That you change because God's wanting to take you to a deeper level, take you to a new depth in your life. The Bible says in Romans chapter 7, in verse 15, And this is the the verse that we'll look at every week is the background scripture. It says, but for I do not understand. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but I do what I hate to do. I always do what I don't want to do, and what I want to do, I never end up doing. Now, does anybody identify with that? And so we're talking about moving from beyond. Beyond that kind of change. And as we think about this, this is what God is wanting to do in our heart. And so what we must understand, first of all, is we must understand biblical change. What is biblical change? Now, one thing that changes, many things change in this world, but one thing that never changes is that things are always changing. Things are always changing. Neighborhoods change. Families change, everything's moving. It's moving parts. That concept will never change. That that we're living in a changing world. So, how do we stay relevant in a changing world? How do you stay relevant with your family? I'm I'm going through a change in parenting. I'm leaving the first ten years. You parent one way for ten years, and then you buckle up and hold on. I think for the next ten. Can I get a witness from somebody that's been there and got a t-shirt? And so you're always changing, and you change. How do you stay relevant? How do you stay on the cutting edge? To stay on the cutting edge, you must always be willing to bleed. A lot of talk about that in our world. Cutting edge, cutting edge, cutting edge. Cutting edge singing, cutting edge preaching, cutting edge conferences. Be on the cutting edge must be... Mean you're willing to live on the sword and be willing to bleed when need be. Amen. And so with everything moving, and how do I stay relevant? Number one, in a in a world that's always moving, how do I stay relevant as a husband? How do I stay relevant as a as a, a as a as a father? How do I stay relevant as an employee? How do I stay relevant as a business owner? How do we stay relevant as a church? There are a lot of irrelevant churches I didn't say irreverent because they got the reverence part down but they have become enslaved to almost to reverency to a point that they have become irrelevant they have ministry but no power they have buildings but no sheep and so how do we stay relevant as a husband as a father and as part of a faith family, and those are really the only things that matter in this world. Those are the three institutions that God has ordained and blessed. How do we stay on that cutting edge? Well, you must always be willing to stay on the cutting edge means you must be willing to cut off that which is holding you back. And so in the book of Genesis, we see a good example of this. And this morning, I want to help you understand what change really is. What change is not, and what change really is. And in this passage of scripture, we see some good thoughts. I, I want us to go back and, and look, if you will, in Genesis chapter 25 and, and, verse, and, and, and verse 19. These are the family records of Isaac, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took his wife, Rebekah. And then verse 21, Isaac prayed because he didn't have any children. She was barren. The Lord heard his prayer, and his wife, Rebecca, conceived. But the children inside of her struggled. Would you circle that in your Bible? The children inside of her struggled. And it struggled to a point that each of them was going back and forth, and she said, what is happening to me? What is happening? You know, you see see, uh, mothers, they delight in the fact that they can watch their children move. They can watch the little feet and the hands poke against their belly. And they'll say, oh, fill feel my stomach. And you'll feel that baby move. Well, Sarah had, I mean, Rebecca had a whole lot more, just a little foot going on. I mean, boys were being boys in the womb. And they were struggling and they were tumbling and they were making, wrestling with one another. And she went and she inquired of the Lord and probably inquired of her friends, first of all. And they were like, girl, I don't, what's going on inside of that? I, man, I've seen a lot of pregnant bellies, but. I ain't ever seen anything happen like that. And so, man, all of a sudden that whole process is moving. And she said, man, there's a turmoil going on. And so, you know, that's how we do when the world doesn't have the answer. And we've consulted every other source. We then go and inquire of the Lord. And so she went and inquired of the Lord and said, Lord, what's going on? And he said, you have two nations inside of you. You have two nations in your womb. Two people will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, but most of all, the younger will be in charge and the older will serve him. And when her time came to give birth, yes indeed, there was twins. I mean, two little boys came out. The first one came out reddish, covered with hair like fur, like a fur coat, and they named him Esau. And after this, his brother came out grasping Esau's heel with his hand. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. And so when we look at this, we see the description of the children. When the boys grew up, Esau became an expert with his hands, a hunter, an outdoorsman, but Jacob was a quiet man who stayed at home. He was a mama's boy. And so as we look at this, if they live today in the society, and Esau lived, and he was your neighbor and lived in your neighborhood, Esau would be driving a jacked up four x four pickup truck. He have a sticker on the back glass that said "Get Her Done." He would have a rifle and a shotgun in the vehicle, and a belt and a pistol in his belt. Do you pick up what I'm putting down? And you would hear him every time he came through the neighborhood because he would be racking the pipes. And it wouldn't be a clean vehicle because he lived in the woods. He would be known as a redneck in our day and times that we live in today. His house would have camouflage furniture and camouflage wallpaper and deer heads and ducks all over the walls. That's just who Esau was. He was a man's man. He had one motto, more power. Amen. And then there was Jacob, a well-manicured young man, skin well-moisturized had lots of shoes, lots of clothes. His hair was perfect. Today he'd be categorized as a metrosexual. Not a homosexual, a metrosexual, a slick dude. We have those of us who have been around for a little while have seen these two type of people in our day and time. I grew I was born on the waning edges of Esau, The hairy dude being the cool guy. I was born in the era of Burt Reynolds. Smokey and the bandit. And the trans am. And the shirt unbuttoned. And his chest hair bulging out. When I was a boy. Some of you had your shirts buttoned unbuttoned. And you were trying to be Burt Reynolds. Amen. You're laughing because you know I'm telling the truth. Now. If you have chest hair, you got that dude buttoned up because it's not cool. You're buttoned all the way to the top, and now the people whose shirts are unbuttoned and run around with no shirts on are slick like Joseph, a mama's boy. Moisturized skin, everything. You you, you get the description of the two different guys, amen? And so, man, understand that this was way before metrosexuals were cool, so for Jacob, the metrosexual, to be overruling the man's man was not cool. And so change began to happen. Matter of fact, God said change is going to happen. I'm fixing to shake things up. I mean, it wasn't a question. If you were the firstborn in biblical times, you were the leader of the family, you were the authoritarian one, you were the heir apprentice, you were the one who would have the signet ring, you were the one who would inherit everything, and everybody else would just get a small portion. And so for God to come in and say, I'm fixing to shake these things up, was change. For the fact that Jacob would rule over Esau, that was something of of, of a huge significance. And so in this passage of scripture, we begin to connect all these dots and things were changing. God said it's going to change. It's not going to be like it's always been. Because God knew the heart of Esau. God knew the intentions of Esau. Does that mean that God predestined Esau for hell? Absolutely not. God does not create people for wrath and some people for pleasure. But what it does mean, and this really messes up some people, is that God hated what Esau was all about. God loved Esau, but he hated everything about Esau. God loved sinners, but he hates the sin. What did he hate about Esau? Well, when the boys grew up, things begin to happen. Change began to take place. Now, Rebecca had this word that Esau, Jacob, would be the leader of the family, and there's no way that they could fathom that could happen. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, impossibilities. How many of you remember sitting there thinking, I don't care who in the world JFK thinks he is, there's no way we're putting a man to walk around and kick up moon dust. I mean, if you grew up in that era, you thought, man, that sure is uh, a big dream. That would be a hag, big, hairy, audacious goal. But the reality of that happening is just not that great. And so when all those things began to come around and it happened, it was hard to believe. Matter of fact, there are people that died who were old in that era that still that still thought that was a Hollywood stunt. Amen, am I telling the truth? And so for, for God to come in and set, upset the natural order of the family dichotomy was impossible for Rebekah and Isaac to understand. So God began to take over. And he said, son, I've got a perfect will for Jacob. And that will is that he'll be the ruler of the nation of Israel. And that perfect will will begin to flourish. It will, become to be, it will begin to be relevant. It will begin to be what is needed to lead the people of Israel. How in the world is that going to happen? There's no way that Esau would give it up willingly. Well, you have to, in understanding change, the first thing you must understand, and you can write this down, is you have to understand perfect change. What is perfect change? It's God ordered. It's a God ordered change. It's a change that is divine, it's a change that is overwhelming. Look with me, if you will, in your Bible. We'll see a little bit further what happened. Look in verse 27 of chapter uh, 25. When the boys grew up, Esau became an expert hunter, an outdoorsman. But Jacob, he was a quiet man. He stayed at home. And Isaac loved Esau. Now here's a parenting lesson right here that you don't want to make a mistake of. Isaac loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. We already see a difference. Why? Because... And boy, I could, I could detour here for a minute. Because Jacob didn't fit Esau's description of what a man was. And I'm going to tell you today, parents, you're going to have to be careful that when your children don't look like you look, when they don't act like you like, act. you say, well, well, they look like you facially, but I'm talking about what they wear, the way they roll. All that stuff doesn't appease you. It doesn't satisfy you. You have to be careful that you don't begin to not love them anymore. And so as we look at this, it, it, here's what's happening. Then verse 29, once when Jacob was cooking a stew, better known as a sauce pecan because it was red, he was cooking this red sauce pecan, and Esau came in from the field exhausted. Why was? What do hunters do? They get up early. They leave the home early. They come back late, and they're exhausted, and they come in. What do you want when you come in from hunting? Eat, you want some breakfast, what do you want after that? You want to sleep, why do you want to sleep? Because you know, boy, that evening hunt sure is good. And you need to get some rest, so you don't fall asleep on that hunt. And so, in this passage of scripture, we see here that he came in, and he was hungry, and he was exhausted, and he said to Jacob, Hey, let me have some of that sauce pecan. That red stew. Because I am exhausted. Verse 31. Jacob replied, I'll give you some stew, but it's going to cost you something. My cooking's not cheap. Well, how about this old birthright I got? Why don't you take the birthright? Matter of fact, look at what he says. Esau says, Take the birthright because I am about to die. What good is it to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore to Jacob. Sold, circle that in your Bible, sold the birthright to him. And then Jacob gave him bread with lentil stew, and Esau ate, drank, got up, and went away. So Esau despised his birthright. You want to know why God hated the things of Esau? right there because he despised the birthright in the Old Testament the birthright was the most powerful thing anyone could have it was given by the father and Esau despised the most powerful thing a father could give him Esau despised the birthright. That's the reason God hated everything about Esau despising that. And so what we see here is a perfect change. Write that down in your notes. Perfect change. It's change that happens. You know what was happening in this passage of scripture? Is that God was aligning the planets, if you will, for Jacob to have the authority to rule the family. To rule the family. To receive all the power that he needed to be the leader. Now I want you to understand that's not something that's easy to do. It cannot be done in the natural. Matter of fact, normally when God calls us to the perfect will, that's the reason that you were designed for, the thing that you were created for. More than likely, it is impossible in the natural. Because if it was easy, you would need God. And God has called you to a higher purpose. Matter of fact he says this in Jeremiah 29 I know the plans that I have for you To give you a hope and a future He says in Jeremiah chapter 1 Before Jeremiah was born in the womb That God sanctified him and ordained him And set him aside to be a prophet Before that boy ever came out God had a purpose When we see with Jacob and Esau Before they ever came out of the womb God told Rebekah I've got a purpose for that young man I've got a plan for his life It is bigger than you can understand it's greater than you can understand. And I want you to know something today, church. God has a plan for your life, it's bigger than what you understand, it's greater than what you understand. Trade in that Disney clubhouse vision and get a hold to a God sized plan for your life. Don't you be settling. If you turn your thumb over, you will see your thumbprint. And everybody in here is different. And your soul has a print also, just like your thumbprint. And it's different. It's different. God's callings are without repentance God created you for a purpose I want you to understand that your mom and dad didn't all of a sudden take a little test and find out they were pregnant and God said "Oh, oh that one slipped up on me I better I better reach in a box and pull out a destiny for that child no sir no ma'am you may be a souvenir to your mama and daddy you may be an uh oh to your mama and daddy but you are a purpose for God I don't care if you were born in an illegitimate situation there There are only illegitimate parents. There are no illegitimate children. And God's got a purpose for you. God's got a plan for you. God's got a perfect will for you. And you don't have to sweat it. All you have to do is be in the place that God told you to be. And God will make the impossible happen. Do you think it was possible for Esau to give up a birthright for a little old plate of sauce pecan? No sir, no ma'am. But God, when God orchestrates, when God writes the plan, when God directs the plan, all things are different. There was the perfect plan. You know the perfect plan. It's when you don't have to work for it. It just happens. It's easy. It moves easy. Flows easy. It just happens. It all falls into place. You say, "Whoa, man, how'd that happen? God did it. I want you to know something. Every one of you have a perfect plan for your life. Number one, as a leader of a family. Amen. Number two, it's part of his kingdom. Now God may have not called you to be a preacher. People ask me all the time about, I think God's calling me in the ministry. My simple question for uh, ruling them out is, do you see yourself being able to do anything else and being happy? If they answer yes, I tell them to go do it. God may have not called you to be a missionary. God may have called you to be a physician. God may have called you to be a mechanic. God may have called you to be a bookkeeper. God may have called you to be an accountant. God needs people in every place, in every position, with every authority. Don't you hold your head and say, well, I'm not called to the mission field. I'm not meant to be a pastor. That means I can't do anything for God. No, sir, no, ma'am. God's got a perfect and a plan for you, and I want you to get to the perfect place with what God's done. I One of the greatest commercials they have out right now this just came to me. I wish I'd have got the commercial. It's got this physician on the jackhammer. And it says the last thing you want is a physician trying to give, diagnose your sickness. I mean, jackhammer in the street. And the last thing you want is the construction worker on a jackhammer trying to diagnose your heart problems. And we have so much of that today. How, how do I know if I'm in the perfect place? If you hate to get up and go to work, it's a good chance you're not in the right spot. You said, oh, pastor, the Bible says that a man would have to work by the sweat of his brow. It does say that. You're absolutely right, but I will tell you something else. And if you get to the job, if you get to the thing that you were created for, and your soul print is made for, you will never have to work again. Because work's not work. It's what you were destined for. That perfect thing. I mean, quit quit doing what you're not supposed to be doing in your personal life. For your occupation. Quit trying to be with who you're not supposed to be with. Because the same way God created you as a baby, He created a little baby girl or a little baby boy over here for that to come together. And, and to unite them. And to destine them. I was reading in this book called the Circle Maker whenever they were praying for the name of a child, God gave them a name of a child that they were to name their child and all of a sudden when the child came out it ended up being the opposite sex and the name wouldn't work and they were all upset that they that they had made a mistake but you know what it was twenty years later there was a there was the 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 girl it came into their life and you know what her name was? The exact name that God had given them to name their child 20 years earlier. What it was was when God was bringing about the baby within that mother's womb. He was stirring up a baby inside another mother's womb. So that they might come together for such a time as this. And not have some broken down dysfunctional chaos. But that they may come together and be perfectly united. You say, Pastor, all the women in the world, all the men in the world, there's no way you can figure out who the perfect one is. I mean, there's all kind of theories and and tactics today. Match.com, put in your compatibility rating, and they'll try to size you up. But I'm telling you, before you were born, God said, I've got this person for you. I've got this person for you, and God will bring them about for his perfect will. There's his perfect will. That's where God wants you. That's where Jacob was. But then there is his permissive will. Look with me, if you would, a little bit further. His permissive will, man. All of a sudden, Jacob now has the birthright. He sold it, gave it over willingly. Look with me, if you would, at chapter twenty-eight. We see the the, uh, the I mean the persuasive will. The second thing is the persuasive will. Look, if you would, in your Bible, chapter twenty-eight, and uh, and I mean chapter twenty-seven and verse eleven. The persuasive will. We see here in this passage of Scripture, I'm going to summarize it for the sake of time. Chapter 27 is all about this. Rebecca's in there cooking, and and Isaac calls Esau, and Esau comes, and he says, son, I'm getting old. I'm getting feeble. He said, I want to bless you. I want to bless you, and I want to give you my blessing. And I want you to go to the field, kill that special venison or animal that I really like, and then bring it back, and you know that special stew you cook, son. You know that, 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 that couvion that you cook that I really like. You go and fix that up for me. And then and, and you bring it. And we're going to have a meal together. And then I'm going to bless you. And so all of a sudden uh, Esau scampers off because he doesn't have the birthright anymore. He didn't die like he thought he was going to do. So because he didn't die like he thought he was going to do, now he disdains Jacob. Because he sold the birthright to him. And he's like, oh my goodness, I live longer than I thought I was going to do. A funny movie is that movie with uh, that lady who thought that the doctor told her she was going to die. So she went and spent everything that she had and ended up having the wrong diagnosis. They wrong, read the wrong x-ray. That's craziness. That's what happened with Jacob. I mean, he, he said, I, I mean, when he saw, I'm going to die. What good is this? What good? I mean, he could have at least negotiated for sauce pecan for a lifetime or something. Just give me one meal of it. Just one dish of it. And so, man, all of a sudden he now he's upset because he's lived longer than he thought. And so he scampers off. And then Rebecca calls in Isaac. And, and I mean, I mean Jacob and says, Oh my goodness, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? Oh my goodness, Isaac's fixing to bless. If Isaac's fixing to bless your brother Esau. We got to do something. We got to intervene. And she says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and I'm going to cook up this meal like your, like, your, like your father really likes. I know how he really likes it because mama really knows what daddy really likes to eat. And she said, I'm going to fix that up just like I know Esau knows how to cook it. And then what I want you to do is, I, here here's Esau clo- Esau's clothes. Put these clothes on. They smell like Esau. You know you know that boy don't like to bathe much. He's an outdoors man. It's got a special smell to it. you got to wear Esau's clothes because Esau smells like Esau smells Jacob smelled like a little mama's boy Jacob Esau smelled like a daddy's boy you picking up what I'm putting down all right so we move on and he said oh but mama you know my skin's so moisturized and it's so soft and you know Esau his hands are like leather and they're all scaly what are we gonna do you go get some goat hair act like Burt Reynolds put it all over you And then when Esau, when your father, when your father, when you go in the room, your father will smell the clothes that smell like Esau. He will feel the hair that feels like Esau. And so, man, all of a sudden, Jacob said, oh, mama, 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 mama. Look at this in verse 12. Look at this. This is so overwhelming. He says, man, mama, this isn't right. Mama, this isn't right. I'm going to bring a curse on myself and not the blessing. And the mama said, son, you just do what I told you. Let the curse be on me. Let the curse be on myself. And his mother said, "Your curse be on me and on on me, my son. You just obey me and go do it." And so, sure enough, he did. You can read this in the in the verses there. The meal's fixed. Jacob goes in, and and here's what we see: they're having to be persuasive. They're having to manipulate. They're having to to twist up. They're having to wear something that they're not. Destined to be. I mean, do you think Jacob was really happy in Esau's clothes? Do you think that smooth-skinned boy was happy feeling all hairy? I mean, he probably put that thing, oh, man, how does this dude wear these clothes? Don't he ever wash them? That's so I man, they're going through this whole process, and he goes in there, and, and all of a sudden the, the, Isaac says, Man, you sound, you sound. Like my son Jacob. Come here. But you feel. Like my son Esau. What's going on? Boy a red flag went up in Isaac's heart. See they were having to be persuasive. Look, go a little bit further, if you will, if you will, in these verses here. I mean, I mean, the whole thing's working out, and it's crazy the way things are are moving. And in verse fourteen, as these things begin to progress, and and all of these things are are taking shape and moving in. And he says, "Come here and let me kiss you before I eat." And when he come in to kiss him, he smelt him. <sighs> I smelled like Esau. All right, son, let me bless you. I don't know what's going on with your voice. I thought you passed up all that voice changing business, but it's your age, but you feel like him. You smell like him. You must be him. And he lays his hands on him and blesses him. I'll tell you something. Don't you be in a persuasive change mode. I mean, I've been there, guys. I've been there, ladies. I mean, you're having to do it all yourself. You have to pull it, you have to push it, you have to pry it, you have to manipulate. And you're being something that you're not meant to be. I mean, if you were called to be a mechanic and you're trying to be a physician or vice versa, that's not what you were designed to be. When you are in the persuasive change mode, it's something that you want not really what God wants, then you have to work, you have to sweat, you have to wear a costume that you're not. It's like Halloween all the time. You're dressed up, but you're not really comfortable. I remember when I first started pastoring, man, I was like, Lord, why can't you, why can't you, uh, why can't you let me preach like some of them other guys? They seem to be all scholarly and have it all together. He said, because that's not how I called you to be. And so what God wants you to do in your own heart and in your own life is to get rid of that, persuade, that where you have to persuade the change to happen. You know where you have to really convince yourself that you don't love your family anymore, that's why you're trading them in? You know that kind of change that says... Uh, Man, this boss has been real bad to me. And you begin to develop a whole case in your mind. Here's what they've done that's bad to me. Here's what they've done. Here's what they've done. You forget all the things that they did that was good for you because all you see is those couple of negative things. And before you know it, you begin to develop a case, a justifiable case for change. And you have to push it. You have to work it. You have to pay for it. And it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. But I'm going to tell you something, before you ever start that persuasive change, especially if you're a child of God, there's a check in your spirit, and I'm telling you that you know beyond any shadow of a doubt that that isn't right before you start doing it, just like Jacob. And Jacob said, Mama, you know, basically, Mama, look, I got the birthright, Mama. I got the birthright, Mama. God brought the birthright to me. Why can't we just let God bring the blessing? Because it wasn't time for the blessing. It wasn't time for that. And I believe with all of my heart, had they just waited, it could have all happened the way God said it would. That persuasive change. And then there's that permissive change. God permits you to be there. God permits you to go to that job that you have, that you hate. Look at Genesis chapter 28 and verse 5. Man, Esau came in after he found out he made his meal. He brought, brought the meal in and said, okay, Dad, here's your meal. Won't you bless me? And he says, oh, son, who was that that just came in? I've already gave the blessing away. Oh, but Daddy, but Daddy, won't you give me one more blessing? Don't you have another blessing? Don't you have another trick in your hat, Dad? Come on, Dad, one more blessing, Dad, one more for me. He said, son, I only got one. And he went out and he began to weep bitterly. And Jacob was scared because he was this metrosexual mama's boy before they ever knew what one was. And he knew that Esau was an expert with a bow and arrow with a slingshot, with a fist, with anything he could get his hands on because he was a getter done type guy. And Jacob began to run for his life. And look at what it says in verse chapter 28 and verse 5. So Isaac sent Jacob to Laban, his brother-in-law's house. He went to his uncle's house, the brother of Rebekah, to run from Esau. Esau noticed that Isaac blessed Jacob and sent him to his father, his uncle's house. When he blessed him, Isaac commanded Jacob not to marry any Canaanite women. He said, son, now if you're going to have the birthright, if you're going to have the blessing, then you need to marry the right person. You need to do what's right in your life. And so he went. God permitted him to go to a foreign land to live with his family. God permitted him to find shelter with family. God permitted him to be there. And so what we see with Jacob was, in just a short amount of time, this young man lived through all three phases of the will of God. I mean, he went from the perfect will of God, stirring his sauce to minding his own business. Hell, uh, I want some of that. I'm about to die. Okay, I'll sell it to you. What's the price? Hell, you know, and you know what's funny? Jacob didn't ask for the birthright. As he said, well, take that birthright. You know, what? what good is that to me? Take that birthright and... Um, I'm about to die there's two things that happened in this story Isaac thought he was going to die and Esau thought he was going to die and they both lived for a very long time so the moral of that story is if you're moping around thinking you're about to die hold your head up and just live like you don't have no tomorrow leave everything on the field and quit waiting to check out God will call you when it's his time that didn't do with my message but I just thought I'd deal with that He's, he's stirring that sauce pecan. Okay, I, perfectly. God's perfect will came for Jacob. You know what? God's perfect will happened in Jacob's life because it was a fulfillment of what God promised Jacob before he was ever born. Listen, don't sweat the big stuff. God will make that happen. You just live out the small stuff. He said, that's not what people say. They say, don't sweat the small stuff. Well, the small stuff's doable. Why would you sweat it anyway? That's easy. Don't sweat the big stuff. God's got it. Jacob went from the perfect will of God to under the influence of his mother. He went to the persuasive will. They had to now persuade. They had to push. They had to pry. They had to go in a costume. They had to go in hiding to get the blessing. They had to hide who they really were. He had to hide His soul print. He had to dress up to be something that he was not to get the blessing. Perfect, permissive, I mean persuasive, and then he ended up in the permissive. God says, boy, you made a mess of things. (coughs) I'm going to permit you to go over there and live with your uncle (coughs) so we can get this stuff straightened out so that you can get your heart right with me. And over the next six weeks, we'll take a deep dive into this. Pull it inside and out. What is the permissive will of God? It's the place that God will let you be. And it's not always hard. The blessing is there many times. Not the full blessing, but God gives you little treasures along the way to let you know he still loves you. But boy, it sure is hard. There's not a lot of joy in it because that's just where God permitted you to be. What does that mean? Well, it means that, you know, I mean, God's called me to be a pastor, to be a preacher. It means I can do that anywhere. God let me do that anywhere, but there's really only one perfect spot. You can be married to anybody, but there's only one that's your soulmate, your perfect one. There's only one that is the one God destined you for. The world tells you, well, just keep going through them. Just keep living with them until you find the right one. Well, I can't live with people. My, my great-grandma would come back and haunt me if I did that. So you just marry one. Well, I'll marry this one. That's not the one. Oh, God, I'll divorce that. And it was the, no, no, no. How about get a word from God? That's what this whole message is about. Just get a word from God. I mean, do you have broken marriages? Okay. Gather all that up. Do you have a trail of divorces? Gather them up. Do you have a trail of failures? Gather them up. And say, Lord, here's all my baggage. Here's all my broken things. Here's all of my attempts. Here's all of my pushing. Here's all of my pulling. Here's all of my pride. Here's all of my costumes that I've wore in my past to get to the place where I really wanted to be. God, can I just trade this in and just get a word from you? If you do that, he'll take all that junk and make it into a jewel. And lead you right where you're supposed to be. Jacob went from the perfect will, persuasive will, permissive will, back to the perfect will. Today, <coughs> God's speaking to some of your hearts. The most miserable place for a believer is in that permissive place where God permits you to be. If I'm gonna tell you, when you get there, God's still there. I mean. Jonah didn't want to do the perfect will of God, so he permitted him to go on a boat. And Jonah said, can I go down? Just throw me over the boat. I'd rather die than repent. Okay, you want to go swimming? Okay. Threw him over the boat, and big fish swallowed him up, and he got down to the bottom of the ocean. And Jonah said, when I got to the root of the mountains, you were there. Yeah, you can't get away from him. God permits you to do a lot of stupid stuff. But let's get to the perfect place. It's all, oh, Pastor, there's no perfect people. I'm not saying that you're going to be perfect every day. I'm not going to say that you don't sin. But here's what the perfect will of God is. That you know this is what makes my soul thrive. This is what brings joy in the morning. It, it, I, I can get up and I can go to work and I'm happy to do it. I'm not wishing my life away saying I wish it was Friday, I wish it was Friday, I wish it was Friday. Because you hate what you got to do Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I mean, you're living in that place where you're content. It doesn't mean that you're not going to struggle. It doesn't mean that you're going to have this holy, sanctified halo above your head and that that's when you get your wings. You're not looking for no wings. Why do you want to be an angel when you can be a a child? I mean, it's where you get to that perfect place, and you know, it doesn't mean you're not going to have struggles. It doesn't mean your faith's not going to be tested in the perfect place. But what it does mean is that in the perfect place, you know that God is that ever-present help in that time of need. It's that place where you know that there's there's joy in the struggle. There's joy in the journey. And then some of you today, you're I mean, you've been trying to do something on your own for so long, and you know God's not in it. Why don't you just trade that in today? Say, Lord, can I I trade this in for the perfect place? Some of you are in a place where God's permitted you to be. Here's what I want us to do. I need to change. I need to change. I want you to be honest with yourself. In our foyer, there's this huge bulletin board up there now. And what I want you to do in this time of invitation... I want you to make your way to this altar all the way around That There's little white pieces of paper right there on the altar and ink pens, Just like this. It says, I need to change. And here's what I want you to write down. I want you to write down right now. <laughs> Perfect. Permissive. Persuasive. Perfect. Permissive. Persuasive. You write down which word describes where you are. Don't write your name on it. Don't write your email on it. It's confidential. Just you and this altar. Just you and God. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to take these cards. We're going to go pin them on that board. And we're going to know how to pray for you. You say, well, I don't have my name on there. No, but God knows who you are. He can find your needle in the haystack. And what that's going to do is it's going to let us take a spiritual inventory of where we are as a faith family and how we need to be praying for each other. We're going to pin those up there. And every Sunday, we're going to have people praying over, every week, people's going to be praying over those people who are in the perfect wheel, Because as we saw right here, Lord, it only takes one, one move, one move, to create a mess. Thank you for that example, Lord. Jacob went from the perfect place to the persuasive place with one decision, and so if your if your card says perfect, even though your name's not on it, there's going to be people that are praying for you every week. God strengthened them in that perfect place, Lord. Help them not to trade that in for some something some fool's goal, and then if you're in that if you're in that uh per, pers- Uh, persuasive place, there's going to be people praying for you for the next six weeks, next eight weeks, whatever it takes and we're going to be praying, Lord, please God please help them to get to that perfect place God, please show them that they don't have to do this on their own they don't have to make it happen and then, if you're here and and you're in that that, that permissive place there's going to be people praying for you saying, Lord, please move them from permissive to perfect now remember, perfect doesn't mean that you're sinless only way to live above sin is to get you an apartment above a bar room. But if we sin, we have a high priest who's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He didn't say you won't sin. He said when you sin, you have an advocate who will walk beside you. So we you stand to your feet? I want to pray for you. You may be here today and you just want to trade all that old life in you just want to trade it today say pastor would you pray for me right now I know I want to get rid of that persuasive junk I want to be the child of God I don't know what the case may be today but if you're here I want you to make your way to this altar you may just want to pick one up and then take it back to your seat you may need to pray about it I don't know what the case is but I want you to do this if you fill it out I just want you to turn it over just sign it turn it over Sign it, turn it over. Nobody will be looking at it, okay? Father God, in the name of Jesus, speak to our hearts today. God, move us from the permissive place to the perfect place. Move us from the persuasive place to the perfect place, Lord. God, please have your way in our hearts and our lives in this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. I hope the message spoke to your heart this morning. I pray that we went through it, that you began to understand the difference between what perfect change is, permissive change, when God allows us to, permits us to be somewhere, and then persuasive change. I hope that you have picked the change that you would get your longing for. If you need anyone to talk to you, please feel free to contact us. We would love to share more, take you on the journey deeper in your life with Jesus Christ, so that in return. God can begin to enlarge your territory and take you wider, further than you ever dreamed that you could possibly go. Let me pray for you. Thank you, Lord, for everybody who has logged on today. Thank you for what they mean to you, God. Thank you for what you're doing in their hearts and lives. Now, God, lead them to the perfect place that you have designed and created for them. In the name of Jesus, we pray.